Hi there, Beth here with just a quick message before we get to the last episode of the season. Thank you so much for following us throughout season one. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have and you want a season two, then let us know by following us on social media. We're at NotYetADR on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or if you prefer, you can email us at phd32bphd32b at gmail.com. Also, please like, subscribe, rate us if the service you're using accepts ratings and uh, tell your friends about us. We would love it if we got more followers for season two than we've had even for season one. Thanks a lot. See you soon. Just a sudden sudden heat wave passed over me. Can that be... I thought ghosts usually caused um, <laughs> cold, but... Uh... Maybe this was a particularly sexy ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Not Yet a Doctor. My name is Beth. And I'm a particle physics PhD student at Sapienza University of Rome. Alistair, it's usually your turn. <laughs> Is it me? <laughs> Is it me? Oh, I always think it's Sienna. I'm sorry. My name is Alistair, and I'm a analytical chemistry PhD student at Queen's University. <laughs> And my name is Sienna. I am a neuroscientist PhD student at McGill University. And we are the PhD three. To be. Um, to be. I, and this is our last episode. Yeah, this is our last episode of the first season. Oh. Season one. This is the last um, physics yeah. episode you're going to get for a while. So settle in and enjoy it. But we have plans we have, for season yeah, two. Yeah, we have got plans for season two. We're not quite sure when that's coming out, but it is coming out. So. We hope it's coming out at least. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. So we hope you enjoyed enough to wait for a season two to come out. Um, if you want a season two, let us know. We'd like to know that you want a season two. If you two. don't want a season two, yeah, don't no, let don't us let know. us know that. Keep that to yourself. <laughs> um, I always forget the tagline, um, but I have come up with a really good one for this week, which is, hello and welcome to Not Yet a Doctor, the podcast where you're school science lessons come back to haunt you (laughs) 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 i hope you're all really excited for this because given that this podcast this episode is gonna be coming out about halloween time sienna sienna gave me the um challenge of tying in something halloween related to physics um and i have found a way so i'm very excited for this one I completely forgot that this was going to be coming out around Halloween, and you had mentioned that you were doing something kind of spoopy. Ghost stories, and, yeah. And yeah. so I was I was kind of thinking, oh, interesting, like physics ghost stories. This is going to be really interesting. <laughs> physics so. ghost stories. The case of the missing um... cat. <laughs> 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 well, I suppose if it's not in the box, then you can take that as evidence that it's alive. Or dead. <laughs> <laughs> or that it's already decomposed. Yeah. Um, let's 
<laughs> Let's not go with that option. Anyway, um, this week I have to give a shout out to my friend George, um, who I had no idea how to connect the hard, uh, well-studied science of physics with the ethereal uh, otherworldliness of ghost stories. But George managed to find a way, so congrats, George. I hope that he actually listens to this podcast at some stage, because I'm not sure that he will. <laughs> anyway. is, George, is George a real friend or a ghost friend? <laughs> <laughs> well, George, aren't you out there? Can you hear us? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm wondering if everybody who I ever met in my entire life actually doesn't exist. But um, hopefully by the end of this episode, we will get to the stage where... We realize that this is all a load of nonsense, but maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> Isn't that just what our podcast is? Just a load of nonsense. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Not Yet a Doctor. This is all a load of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so one of the things that I'd like to say is that I didn't start out doing this podcast with the aim of like bringing the scientific method to people's minds and explaining that um but this week I'm hopefully going to be doing a bit of that and like trying to get people to think like a scientist kind of thing all right so as we go I'm gonna like try and point out places where I want you to be skeptical and want you to have your science mind turned on which I know you guys always have your science mind to turn on but um just in case they need a little bit of tuning yeah i mean my critical thinking mind is usually turned on okay so this week we are going to be discussing a paper well we're going to be starting from discussing one paper and then going into some other ones and this paper is called the ghost in the machine and it's not published in nature it's not published in science it's not published in physical review letters it's published in the Journal of the Society for Psychical Research. For psychical Ooh. research? Like, in psychical a circle? Psychical research. No, as in... ESPN? Like psychic, but with an AL. Yeah, yeah ESPN. ESPN. Exactly. <laughs> ESP. I know it's ESP. I'm making a joke. Sports people don't come at us. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely get confused between ESPN and ESP. So when you said ESPN, I was like, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> But no. Uh, yeah, okay, so this, this paper's from 1998. Ooh. Um, but it's still... I mean, 1998 is quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, like, talked about and brought up fairly often. Um, even though... Well, even though we'll see. <laughs> no, also we should say that... Well, I'll go into it a bit more, but, like... This journal, I haven't read any other papers from it, so I don't really know what it publishes. Um, but this paper, at least, is not pro- is not providing evidence of ghosts. Oh, okay. So if you believe there are, if you believe that ghosts exist, then um, you can still listen to this episode, and I don't think your faith in the existence of ghosts will be entirely shaken. If you believe that ghosts don't exist then I think that you can also listen to this episode and 
your faith won't be much shaken in that either. I was thinking about this earlier today, and one of the funny things about science, which makes the whole topic of ghosts very difficult, is that you can't really prove a negative yeah. in science. So you can't really prove that ghosts don't exist. Yeah. In fact, instead, what you have to do is go around searching for evidence that they do yeah. and compile like enough convincing evidence that they do. Yeah. And that would be how you prove that they exist. But you can't really say with certainty that they do or don't if you don't have evidence that they do. Yeah. Science things. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Our hypotheses yeah. are not drip, like meant to be able to prove a negative, so... Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you do believe ghosts exist, all you gotta do is get enough hard evidence about that, which is difficult, because ghosts are a... Um, they're skittish, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, but also, I mean, like, go ahead and believe that ghosts exist. Like, yeah. I don't think it has any impact on anybody else, so I have no problem with you thinking that. I personally don't think that they exist, but I don't really spend much time thinking about it, because... Yeah. Um, Russell's teapot and all of that. What is Russell's teapot? Do tell. Oh, it's the um. I'm gonna get it wrong, but it's this thought experiment that if there was a teapot like orbiting in the asteroid belt or something, it wouldn't matter. Like it, there could be one there, but it doesn't matter <laughs> because you can't measure it. Like you, you'll never be able to see it. So. But what if you're an astronaut and you want some tea on your way to the outer reaches of our solar system? But it'll be really cold. <laughs> Fair enough. You want hot tea. You want, yeah. Yeah, you want, why not bring your own teapot with you? And then you know that you've made some nice hot tea, fresh tea. So I did look this up just to like also get another take on what it means just specifically, which I think you're pretty much right. He says it's like, if you were to assert without offering proof that a teapot too small to be seen by telescopes orbits the sun, somewhere in between Earth and Mars, he could not expect anyone to believe him solely because he cannot be proven wrong. Yeah, there you go, see. Right, like if you, you assert something that cannot be proven wrong, people don't have to believe you. Yeah. But people don't have to disbelieve no, you either. No, exactly. And like, it's, if there's a... There, like, these philosophical questions of whether there's a teapot orbiting the sun between the Earth and Mars, or whether ghosts exist, those are fine for somebody else to think about. But I personally don't really care i mean until they start affecting your life until you start weird like tea starts dripping on you at random times and you're kind of like i really <laughs> this is causing me a lot of problems in my day-to-day -day life because sometimes i go to work and then i get yeah. dripped on by tea and i yeah. smell like tea the rest of the day and my clothes get wet like until it starts really bothering you or disrupting your life it's kind of like right, it doesn't affect right. you back to more logical things like ghosts <laughs> all right so the paper, as I've already mentioned, is called The Ghost in the Machine, and it was published in the Journal of the Society for Psychical Research in 1998. And it's got two authors, Vic Tandy and Tony R. Lawrence. Vic Tandy is the lead author, and he became quite famous for this work and some more work that he did along the same lines, which I haven't really looked into, but I've seen along the way. His affiliation is the School of Inter International Studies and Law, Coventry University. Tony R. Lawrence is affiliated with the School of Health and Social Sciences, always a, um, also in Coventry, a Coventry. And I haven't been able to find out exactly what Vic Tandy's background was. Um, I've seen him listed as an uh, IT lecturer, 
But how that exactly falls under international studies and law, I'm not really sure. Um, and in the paper, he's described, I think it's him writing and describing himself as an engineer designer, which I guess isn't a million miles away from an IT lecturer, a bit further from international studies and law. Um, and it de but it definitely kind of comes across like a bit like he was a mechanical engineer because he talks about working in this lab where they seem to be <laughs> mechanically engineering. <laughs> where there is evidence of mechanical engineering. Mechanical engineers, please write into the podcast and tell us what you do. We have no idea. Our email is phd32b at gmail.com. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell us what the verb is for mechanically engineering, if there's a better one to use. Um, but Vic Tandy was mechanically engineering one day. <laughs> yeah, he seemed to be engineering mechanically. <laughs> anyway, the paper focuses on a first, first-hand experience um, that Vic Tandy had, and it attempts to propose a scientific explanation for a supposedly ghostly experience. So, I'm going to read you the abstract so that it's clear um, what they were trying to get across by writing, writing the paper. So it says, When investigating a haunted building, it is good practice to attempt to exclude as many possible normal causes for the haunting as possible. The ways in which normal earthly events might conspire to convey an impression that a house is haunted are numerous. Water... Hammering pipes and radiator noises, electrical faults, structural faults, seismic activity, electromagnetic anomalies, and exotic organic phenomena basically could all be uh, the more mundane cause of an ostensible haunt. So, like, everything that's wrong with old buildings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, anything in the world could be something that makes you think of ghosts which is fair because like what do ghosts do mm -hmm. they clank old buildings clank um they cause weird disturbances well weird disturbances happen all the time they cause so. they cause cold drafts mm -hmm. old houses are drafty yeah yeah exactly so when you're looking for ghosts like for all our ghost hunting friends out there this is exactly the kind of work that you have to do you have to, like, find a haunted incident, and then you have to look for all of the possible causes for non-haunting available to you. This is basically my field. Like, this, this is how the Higgs was discovered. You look for Higgs-like events, and then you, like, look to see whether they could have been caused by anything other than Higgses. Or even in my own research, like, that's, that's how we, if we ever discover the dark photon, that's how we will have done it, is to even just find one event and say that it can't have been anything else. And therefore, it has to be this. That's something, actually, I uh, I kind of try I tried to get across in an earlier episode when talking about your research, Beth, and like in physics in general, where you kind of, you eliminate all the possible variables, you eliminate all the possible variables, and you say, well, it couldn't have been this, it couldn't have been this, we know that it couldn't have been this, and we know all of that, yeah. so it must yeah. be the Higgs boson. Like, yeah. and, and that's really yeah. interesting to me as someone who looks... You know, looking at elements in, in soils, with my research, we look for the element. We look for arsenic in soil. Whereas, 
Your approach is more eliminate all the soil around it and all the other elements, and then everything left must be the arsenic. Yeah, you know, and I guess that's basically it. You, I guess I could also look at my research from that perspective, but I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but, like, it's just really interesting, especially with the Higgs boson and the dark photon, like, you eliminate everything because you don't have a detector that can see really dark mm-hmm. photons. Yeah. So you have to, yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me, the approach to uh, coming to the, or drawing conclusions and stuff. Yeah, um, I should just clarify quickly that the Higgs wasn't, quite discovered in that way it was more of a like we expect 10 events if we find 15 and we're sure that those extra five can't have come from anything else then they have to have come from this and Mm. then like what happens in science is that you know further down the line somebody will say oh well it could have like it looks like that but actually it wasn't quite that it was more something slightly different and that's That's how science progresses. But anyway, this is this is the part of this is one of the many parts where we get into the scientific method. Are 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 we just making a guidebook on how to study for ghosts? This is what this I'm very excited. Like we could just this could be the manual on how to find <laughs> yeah. a ghost. Yes. Uh, scientifically. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a great podcast to make, honestly. <laughs> the scientifically yeah, accurate okay. Ghostbusters. But yes, ghost <laughs> myth-busting is <laughs> what we're doing today. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, in this first-hand experience um, uh, that Vic Tandy has of ghosts, he says... Um, at the time of the incident, he was working, he refers to himself in the third person almost always. At the time of the incident, he was working in a laboratory made from two garages, back to back, and approximately 10 foot wide by 30 foot in length. Now, for all of you who don't understand freedom units, <laughs> even if this was written by uh, probably a Brit, I assume he was British, I don't know. That's about three meters by nine meters, Okay. Um, so as we've before said, three meters is almost exactly two baths. <laughs> so, so therefore, nine meters is almost exactly six. Two by six. Um, if, you, if you've never met me, and I realize that doesn't help very much, but just go and get a meter stick. <laughs> um, I wanted to bring this up earlier, but there's a Facebook page that I follow called Americans Will Use Anything But The Metric System. <laughs> and it's all these examples of American like textbooks or websites or just, <laughs> it's not even just Americans, but it's talking about things in terms of football fields or, you know, how many Cows bags of chips could fit in this thing or like we're yeah. using, it's three baths long. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently even Brits will measure with anything other than the metric well, system. I mean, but... I think... Yeah. At least it's, it's like a conversion to the metric yeah. system. And I, it's useful to yeah. have measurements that make sense for you, but it's just not useful totally. to make those global because they're usually not. If no. we started measuring everything yeah. in baths, that would be really confusing for anyone who didn't know baths. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And then also, like, what um, would be our standard? Like, you would have to stay the same height your whole life. And then we have to, like, preserve you after death and put you in a museum and be like, this is the representative unit of one bath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd have to stay in Paris, presumably. Yeah, under a, under a vacuum-sealed chamber. I, I don't want to be in a vacuum-sealed chamber. That sounds very uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, good. That's out of the way. 
So, the- <laughs> so his garage was how many baths? <laughs> Two by six baths, three meters by nine. He says, one end was closed off by doors, normally kept closed, and the other end had a window, the other side of which was a cleaning bay. So if you got, if you, has everybody got a picture in their minds? Uh, what was behind the window? A cleaning bay? Yeah. What's that? To like... Another room? Clean stuff. A yeah, I guess. With like a sink in it and stuff. And there was, there, importantly, there's an extractor fan in that clean up, okay. cleaning bay. But do we know how many baths large the cleaning bay was? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It doesn't say. Um, If it said, I would let you know. That's fair. Thank you. So, apparently they were manufacturing medical equipment in in these garages. Um, And he says, there was always some piece of equipment wheezing away in a corner. Uh, so at first he attributed the rumours of haunting to this wheezing away of equipment. And I would like to jump in here and say, this turn of phrase is just, like, it makes the paper so easy to read because it's just like reading a work of fiction. <laughs> like, the medical equipment was wheezing away in the corner. <laughs> yeah. I'm not at all saying these events didn't happen. I'm sure that, like, what happened in the paper is exactly as he said. And, like, he has tried to treat this in a scientific way. Um, but it's just, like, you couldn't write like this in physical review letters. Like, you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't. Oh, but do if this. you could, how much more fun would science be? Honestly, it would be... If you could do oh. things like, um, dear radioactive ladies or gentlemen, <laughs> or there was another... Um, there's a paper out there that I really advise people to go and look at that is about the relationship between the frequency of chirrups of cicadas or crickets or something I think it's cicadas and temperature Mm. and apparently there's a a linear relationship between the number of chirrups per second and temperature and anyway it's, it's like from the 19th century and it's written beautifully if we could still write like that, I think science would be such a more beautiful place. Mm. Yeah, so he first attributed the rumours of haunting to the wheezing of medical equipment. <laughs> but little did he know there was something much more sinister just around the corner. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Sinister transition music. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to read you a couple of sentences from um, from this paper about an experience that um, somebody else had. So he says, One morning, however, none of the equipment was turned on and VT, Vic Tandy, <laughs> arrived just as the cleaner was leaving, obviously distressed that she had seen something. As a hard-nosed engineer, VT put it down to wildcats or some sort of lighting effect. <laughs> He's a hard-nosed engineer, you know. Sorry, he <laughs> he put would it never down get to... taken in by wildcats or lighting effects. <laughs> wildcats, oh, like cougars, yeah. and I guess in the so. UK. Lynx? No, it must mean like feral cats, right? Like, or are I... we talking about like Troy Bolton from High School Musical? <laughs> a wild Zac Efron. <laughs> <laughs> a wild Zac Efron appeared. I mean, oh who God. knows? Like, there's no more information than this. I have no idea where in the world this this lab was. Um, Presumably in the all UK. All I know is 
that it was 10 feet by 30 feet. Hmm. We say um, in a new measure of unit. <laughs> two by six vests. <laughs> or three by nine meters. <laughs> yeah. So he's a, he's a hard-nosed engineer and couldn't put it, knew that it couldn't be put up to wildcats or lighting effects. Odd, odd choices in, in possibilities, but... Yeah, I mean, it sounds a bit like I don't want to annoy anybody here, but um, it does sound a bit white knightish. Oh, these little ladies, these little cleaning ladies, you know, um, they get so confused by wildcats and lighting, uh, lighting effects. But I'm a hard-nosed engineer, and that would never happen to me. Anyway, yeah, presumably that's not how he meant it, but that's definitely how it comes across at least to this reader i don't know this person i don't know what he was like um all i know is what he's written in this paper and that is what i'm reporting to you i'm i'm really enjoying it by the way i gotta say this is the best probably top 10 favorite papers already just based on the way it's written like this is fun <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is fun it is fun and we are going to get into some real science here. Like, there's even going to be an equation. Um, I'm spooked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that everybody's aware of what's coming up, you can prepare yourselves. He goes on to describe a, a ghostly experience that he has where he's alone in the lab at night and he seems to see a ghostly figure. Um, and then he turns his head to look at this person and the person disappears. And he puts this down to his own imagination. Um, and this is the part where he yeah. slips up with using the third person. He says, There was absolutely no evidence to support what he had seen, so he decided he must be me cracking up and went home. But anyway, this is another thing that, like, if you read the first person in a journal, if it's not, like, directly somebody, somebody's first-hand account, like, within quotes, then... I would be suspicious. I'm pretty sure most biology okay. articles are written in first-person plural. It could definitely be a stylistic thing. Like, I mean, there's not a lot of it, but it's like when you're like, we describe yeah. this thing happening, or like, yeah. our results show. It does happen in physics papers as yeah. well that people use we, intending the authors, usually the collaboration. Um, but it's very rare, at least, to see me and I. But anyway. We report that. It's very mm. common. Anyway. Um, uh, more things to be on the lookout for if you are trying to work out whether the science is legit or not. Can we just quickly, something that comes to mind, and I know I... Imagine, if you will, for just a minute... Second person. Articles. <laughs> Next, you added the drug to the neurons in the dish. You observed. <laughs> it would be so engaging. It would be like a choose-your-own-adventure. I feel like such an accomplished researcher. Flip to page 4,365. To find out what your results show. <laughs> yeah. Your neurons all died. Try again. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the Oregon Trail, you died of dysentery, except your neurons all died. Yeah. Your funding ran out. Yeah. <laughs> your funding ran out. Your CIHR grant did not get renewed. Spend three more months writing a grant application. Uh, 
That's funny. That would be good. Oh, science. <laughs> okay, so he sees a ghostly figure, and he's like, darn it, I should have listened to the cleaning lady. Yeah, and then he's like, it's my mind playing tricks on me. I'm going to go home and have a lie down and put a wet paper bag over my head. What? Um, <laughs> That's a Hitchhiker reference. Oh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so he goes home, and the next day he comes back, and apparently he has a fencing tournament later that day. Um, and so he decides to come into the lab to, like, fix his fencing foil, as you do. As one does. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he specifies that he has all of the tools available to him, like, he has all the tools he needs at home. But um, he decided that it would be easier in the lab. He feels the need to specify that. <laughs> so he comes in and he puts his foil in a vice. I'm pretty sure that the foil is like what you call a sword, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it just the blade? Yeah. Anyway, he puts it in a vice on one of the workbenches. And he goes away and he comes back and he finds that it's vibrating in quotes frantically. <laughs> frantic vibrations <laughs> oh dear and he's like well I'm a hard nosed engineer <laughs> so I know that vibration means that energy is being transferred to this object somehow um, in some way that like has a yeah varying frequency I guess so he's like well when you get vibrations in the air, that's sound. Um, so he goes and he starts thinking about the physical properties of this sound. Now here is one of the places where I would like to raise a sceptical mind flag, okay? Mm-hmm. Sceptical mind's on. I'll see whether you guys like get to my scepticalness or not. But anyway, he decides that the vibrations are probably coming from the air and air vibrations are sound. Mm -hmm. So what he does is he does an experiment and he puts the foil in the vise on the floor and he slides it along to find the point where the quotes vibration got bigger, end quotes, Mm. which I assume means where the amplitude of the vibration is the greatest. In case anybody doesn't know, the amplitude is the height of the vibrations, basically. So, like, if you're sitting in a swing, then the amplitude of that is how far back you go in the swing. And how far forward. Basically, how far forward. he put he put the, the sword, he put the foil, he put the sword on the spot on the floor where it was the wobbliest. Yeah. Exactly. Where the wobbles were the yes. biggest. The wobbles were the biggest, yes. Where the sword was incredibly wibbly-wobbly. <laughs> it wibbled and it wobbled in a huge amount. Like, almost one beth. Yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe. Maybe a half we, a beth. We, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. We don't know how many beths long the, the foil was. Um, if you need a, if you need to picture this or, like, you just want an idea of what we mean by wibbly-wobbly, go look at slow-motion videos of guitar strings. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Go and check out, for example, Acoustic Trench, who frequently... Um, do you guys know Acoustic Trench? No. No. Oh, my gosh. You should you should uh, um, find him on social media, like on um, Instagram and stuff, because his dogs are the most beautiful animals ever. 
Um, but he like plays music to them on his guitar, and he like he like films the strings, so you can see the okay. the strings wibbly wobbling. Oh, I think I have seen one of these videos. He films from inside the guitar. Yeah, and then yeah. at the end of every video, he like gives his dog a pat. And it's honestly, like, I love the music. The music is great, but the best part of the video is a pat for the dog at the end. <laughs> oh. um, so he puts it in the wibbliest, wobbliest place in the on room. the floor, which he finds is halfway along the floor. Okay, so now we're going to... <laughs> now we get into the physics. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's go back to the setup of the room. So he has a three by nine meter room, nine meters long. And in, so that's basically a box or a pipe. You can think of it as a pipe with two closed Mm -hmm. ends, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know how much mechanics you guys have done. Okay. So, <laughs> so what happens if you have a if you have a closed pipe, a pipe that's closed at both ends, or if you have a string that's fixed at both ends, then um, you can make that string wobble. You can make the air in that pipe oscillate, and you can you can send a vib- If you choose, let's choose the analogy of a string. You can str- you can send a vibration down that string at any frequency you want so if you are holding on to one end of a skipping rope and your friend is holding on to another then you can wave your end up and down as many times as you want in a second right or in a minute or you know mm-hmm. but what you will find is that if you just give it a little flick um, then if you do it at certain frequencies so if you do it a certain number of times a second or a certain number of times a minute then what will happen is the wave, so it'll it'll create a wave, right? A wibbly wobbly. Yeah, it'll mm-hmm. create wibbly wobbly. So it'll create a wibble, and that will go all the way up, and yep. all the way over to the other end. And then if yep. you do it at the right frequency, then it'll get reflected back at the other end and come right back to you, and it'll just keep doing that. Ooh, fancy. And what that'll set up is what's called a standing wave, and that is where mm-hmm. a standing wave is a wave whose nodes and anti-nodes are not moving. So a node is a place where you don't have any vibration on the string. You don't have any movement. The amplitude, the amplitude isn't changing. An anti-node is the peak, basically. That's where you get the most oscillation. That's where you get the most vibrations, the most difference in height. And if you have a standing wave, then the points on that string where the, where the nodes and the anti-nodes are won't change. So so the wavelength, I'll explain, is the difference between one peak and the next peak. So it's the, diff- the distance over which you have one peak, one trough, and you get back to the next peak. Is that clear? Mm-hmm. And it's equal to 2L over N. You don't have to know that off by heart, but you have to know that it has some, there's a relationship between the wavelength and the length of the tube. Mm-hmm. They're linearly proportional. The speed of a wave is given by V equals F times lambda. So the speed of the wave is the frequency of the wave times the wavelength of the wave. So that means if you know the speed of sound, which you more or less do, at least in air, 
Um, and you can work out how many antinodes there are in your room by dragging your foil along the floor and seeing how many points there are where it gets really, really wobbly and how many points there are when mm-hmm. it's not wobbly at all. Mm-hmm. Then you can work out the frequency of your wave. So having finished the discussion of how he calculates this 19 hertz frequency, this is where I would like to bring up the thing that makes me not sure how valid this this analysis is. So to recap, he has said there's vibrations in this room. There's one point in the room where it gets really big and therefore there's a standing wave in the room. And then he says, I assume that this standing wave comes from something that's transmitted through the air, essentially. Waves in air are called sound. So I'm going to use the speed of sound and the wavelength of this um, of this object, of this sound, of these vibrations, and I'm going to calculate the frequency. Sienna, do you have an idea? Um, as a non-physicist, I have a guess, but it could be totally off base, so... Okay, I'd like to hear your non-physicist guess. So, my guess would be that there's, like, I don't know that much about waves or sound or vibrations, but I'm fairly certain that the ground can vibrate as well, so, like, my guess would be, like, why has he excluded that completely? That's exactly... That was exactly what I thought. So, I thought to myself... Sound travels much faster in solid objects. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are good physical reasons for that because sa- like atoms and molecules and solids are much more closely packed, right? So they can yeah. wobble between each other much more efficiently. So that means that the speed of sound in a solid is much faster and also that in general, sound dissipates much much less in solids than it does in gases in air. Mm-hmm. So that's what I thought. Maybe there's a vibration in the ground that then comes up through the bench and then onto the... Like maybe somebody the... was using a jackhammer. Yeah, <laughs> who knows. On the other hand, so then that would give you a value for a, fre- for a frequency that would be much higher. So then, okay, now we're going to put our scientist thinking caps on. If you had a value for the frequency that was much higher, you might expect to hear that. If that was then transmitted to the air, you might expect to hear that. You might, depending on the amplitude of that vibration, you might potentially expect to feel that in the in the room, if you're standing on a floor that's vibrating very fast. You might expect to feel that. Also, um, it's true that sound it uh, dissipates much less in solids than it does in gases in the air. On the other hand, low frequency sounds dissipate much less than high frequency sounds and for anybody who has done a level physics or maybe first year of a uh, north american college degree in physics i don't really know like a general physics class for the first i don't know people take general educational classes right yeah. Yes. We take physics in Canada. People we do have physics, physics in Canada. <laughs> Does physics happen in Canada? Yes. <laughs> Surprisingly, actually, physics doesn't apply in Canada. Uh, I have to work really hard around. to look like gravity affects me. Actually, <laughs> it's just a facade. <laughs> I guess that's how you get like such heavy moose and 
protobuzz and stuff. One of the nice things is we don't have to assume frictionless surfaces because everything's just covered in ice. So we just have <laughs> yeah, frictionless that surfaces. That's true. <laughs> wow, that must make your physics so much easier. Mike's walking a lot harder, though. <laughs> Okay, we are reaching the end of my notes, even though like, I feel like I have so much more to say. Say it, say it all. So, why, so we're yeah, skeptical, okay. why did we bring up the ground physics? Sound, ground. So, um, ground I'm sound. just bringing that up because, well, I mean, given that we're talking about ghost stories, mm-hmm. it's very important to be skeptical. And... Like, given that this is a good opportunity to um, teach, to communicate skepticism in science, I think it's helpful to, I don't know if it's helpful, but I I want to, like, show the process that my mind goes through as I'm reading these, these things. So... On the one hand, maybe the idea that it's, um, so my first, my instinct when I was reading this is it seems potentially unlikely that um, this wave is traveling through the air and it's sound. On the other hand, if you think about it another step, then it is actually possible. And what they found actually was, um, so he goes in search of, of somebody to, to talk to about this and he finds some, I think he finds a technician and they eventually track down the source of the wave to a new extractor fan that had been installed and they switch it off and the standing wave disappears. Aww. Which That's beautiful. Given that the man, yeah, given that the fan was presumably mounted on the wall rather than on the floor, depending on the material of the wall and the and the floor and the foundations and blah blah blah, um, it definitely could be reasonable to assume that. It wasn't really being transmitted through the floor and it was instead being transmitted predominantly through the air. So not necessarily like he may not be a physicist, but it's not necessarily a bad piece of um, analysis that he's done. It's great. (laughs) Um, One thing also is if they had installed an extractor fan and this is a closed garage with closed doors, that fan is pulling air out of that room. And so there's probably an airflow that could be causing the sword to vibrate. Yeah, that's right? true. That's true as well, actually. And then the question becomes, how easy is it to set up a standing wave when some of your air is being Moved. extracted? Yikes. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's not something that I really know about. I would need no. Like, if you think about question. it, like I've, I've had it happen on a warm summer's day, as we've had a few... Um, where we have the front door and the back door open in my house, and I'll be sitting doing work at the table, and there's just a flow of air that's blowing my papers ever so subtly, and I could see that and think that it's sound, you know, a low-frequency sound, but it could equally just be the movement of the air. Yeah. I mean... Anyway, just just something I thought of. That's that's a a really interesting question. Um, I would like to say that if you have a pipe that's open at both ends then you see exactly the same effect that you see if it's closed at both ends. Um, you see something different if it's closed at one end and open at the other, but if it's open at both ends or closed at both ends, then... So, like, if the if both doors were open, you could still see a standing wave. I still suspect that both ends were closed. In fact, I know that one end was closed because there's the, there's the windows and stuff on it, so... Uh, although I guess maybe that's where the extractor fan was. I don't know. I don't know what effect that would have. Equally, you can you can have 
both reflection and transmission. Um, so you can have some of your energy going out, some of your arrow going out, and some of it being reflected back off the wall. And you can still get a standing wave set up. So it will, like, obviously, everything in life isn't, is never as simple as the problems in your physics textbook. So V equals F lambda is true, that's correct. But, and lambda equals um, 2L over N is correct if you have like perfect standing wave being set up and you know nothing is mm -hmm. perfectly simple anyway so he found so the source the of the unhearable noise and he turned it off yes but then he but then he says to himself that he, he makes this connection between this vibration event and the weird feelings of cold and depression and like all of these other like ghostly things that have been happening to people and he's like I wonder if this vibration could cause these effects in people which is a reasonable question to ask I think mm -hmm. I mean it's a leap but like fair enough you found a, a Sienna's looking skeptical it's a reasonable question to ask but What's the evidence to support the claim? Well, this is this is the question, right? The so then he asks himself, um, is there any way that this could have an effect on humans? Could it give rise to the effects that we've been seeing with people having all these um, symptoms, like a feeling of depression, occasionally a cold sh shiver? And on one occasion, a colleague sitting at the desk turned to say something to VT, thinking he was by his side. The colleague was surprised when VT was found to be at the other end of the room. There was a growing level of discomfort, but the workers were all busy and paid it little attention. Blah, blah, blah. So, um, this is the kind of writing that he has in his, in his <laughs> paper. He, yeah, so he goes away and he does some research... And he finds a book called Infrasound and Low Frequency Vibration by Tempest. And he quotes this section here, which I have to find. Here we go. Workers in a university radiochemistry building experienced the same oppressive feeling together with dizziness when the fan in a fume cupboard was switched on. Conventional soundproofing had reduced the audible sound to the point where there was hardly any difference in the noise with the fan on as off. The situation affected some people so much that they refused to work in the lab. It was concluded that the low frequency component of the sound was responsible. Hmm. But anyway, Alistair, have you ever experienced um, dizziness and an oppressive feeling? Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned some of those symptoms of feeling of cold and depression and, uh, <laughs> you know, dizziness. And I think that's just a symptom of grad school, <laughs> just working in the lab. I, I don't know. I um, <laughs> I don't know if I can attribute it to the extractor fans <laughs> in my fume hood. And I mean, also, I don't know when Tempest was writing, but maybe the fume hoods we have now are better soundproofed or better, uh, they better protect against these low frequency oscillations um maybe to be fair I'm, yeah i'm not entirely convinced that low frequency oscillations do affect people in yeah. the way that they're describing i mean it's a bit of a reach uh yeah to say that they felt all of these symptoms from low frequency oscillations and that 
I'd be interested to this know is the like same the effect um, as well. Yeah. The demographics of the people they're asking because it's like well known that women experience like cold more than men and rooms are kept at temperatures that are too I have opinions women. about this. <laughs> so like if all of these female grad students are like I don't know, I'm feeling yeah. cold, I'm feeling <laughs> depressed, like it's really loud in here. Like it could just be that like living in a space that is too cold for you. It's really hard. Uh, I was I was going to say when Alice was talking about like cold labs, at our labs so like being a particle physics physicist, we don't do like tabletop experiments. I don't have my own like little experiment set up on a bench, but um I would love to, but but I don't. Um but at the lab where I work, um we have a control room. We have they're like two rooms that are joined by a door. Um they're not two garages and they're not by three three by nine meters. In the main control room this summer there was the air they had the air conditioning on and like this is Rome in July and it was hot and it was humid and it was disgusting and like one morning I had the morning shift so I had to be there at seven so I left the house at just before six in the morning and like on my walk to the metro station on the 10 minute walk to the metro station I managed to get myself so paranoid that I had COVID and that I had a fever because it was so hot um I didn't have a fever I didn't have COVID don't you worry guys but like, I feel you, you, you on like that, get into your own head, you know. I and anyway, yeah. Uh, the amount of times I take my temperature is directly correlated with the ambient temperature. Yeah. Um, so it's like really hot. Like I must have a fever now. I yeah. must. It was really hot, but they did like sitting in that control room. I needed a jumper, like I needed a hoodie, to just be like reasonably comfortable because it was really cold. Um, and like mm-hmm. why they are doing that to the environment where why they're making it so that you need a jumper in summer anyway that's uh like, if if my bosses ever hear this <laughs> turn up the heat <laughs> turn down the cold <laughs> it's turn down the cold yeah honestly okay so he does some research and he finds this book that says that some chemists somewhere um radio chemists have felt an oppressive feeling with a with a fume hood uh he then also cites two nasa reports which i looked for i looked for both of them and one of them i could not find maybe if i'd spent more time on it i could have found it but i spent some time on it and i couldn't find it and there's a there's even a thread on like physics forums or something um that's somebody posting being like i would like to find these two nasa reports and then not being able to find them basically so both of them took me some time to to track down and one of them i found and one of them i didn't but the one that i found talks about the effects of vibrations on vision and it's from 1973 which is a few years ago. Oh my gosh! And there's this there's this um, graph that I really want to show you. Hang on a second, I have to find it. Um, I love a good graph. Seventy three was that like? When did when did the Americans 68? go to the moon? 
Si- is it 68? 68, okay. I should know that. But I'm pretty sure it was... Because it came to my mind as well, and so I didn't look it up in the end. But I think it was just a few years before. Um, here we go. Because I, I posted it to... I tried to post it to um, the Facebook group. This is terrible data presentation, and we're rejecting your paper. Which is a Facebook group <laughs> that I absolutely love. Um, yeah. Because I just love it's data, fantastic. like even the ones when people complain that it's like actually good data presentation, um, and they're like, "This doesn't belong here," then I still love it because I just really like numbers. But anyway, here's the graph, and tell me why you think that I thought that it belonged in <laughs> why it belongs in terrible Ooh, data sec. presentation. Okay, so, oh, um. I, so for, for two things yep. pop out to me. First of all, the y-axis doesn't start at zero. Yeah, I hadn't really noticed that, but um, yes. Second of all, the x-axis goes up by arbitrary amount. I hadn't even noticed that, but that's also a great reason for it's it to like be in almost, there. It's like almost logarithmic, but then it just gets bigger again. It's just it's just associated to each of the Yeah. Like, yeah, he just points. wanted to have equal space with... But there's one other reason why it really definitely belongs in terrible data presentation. I have one more point, but Santa, do you have any uh, ideas? I don't, like, the standard deviation is wild here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Alice, is that, was that what you were going to say? Uh, oh, yeah, I was going to say that at 25 and above, there's very wild standard deviation. And then yeah. he interprets this, like, the guy in the paper, who, the guy who writes this paper, this thesis, um... And also, uh, the authors of the ghostly paper, of the ghost in the machine, they interpret this to mean that the resonant frequency of your eye is approximately 18 hertz, which is where the peak in this supposed trend is. But actually, like, within one standard deviation, all of these points are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And so, like, for non-scientists, or for scientists who hate statistics, one standard deviation is, uh, like, saying that things are the same to within one standard deviation is a way of saying that um, the uncertainty on your measurements is far too big to say whether these things are the same or different. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they assume that... The vibration frequency of your eye is 18 hertz um, for for interesting reasons. And, like, for a hard-nosed engineer, <laughs> I was surprised that he didn't find more issues with this. And, like, the other author of this paper is an actual scientist, presumably. He is affiliated with the School of Health and Social Sciences at Coventry University, so you would think that he would know something about graphs and statistics and would look up this paper and read the citation that he was he was giving. But um yeah, then so then I went in search of some more information about this infrasound business. That basically concludes the reading and my analysis of the ghost <laughs> in the machine. Um, Very which also is a great t- title for a paper, really. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So he concludes that the sound from this extractor fan caused the ghostly okay. experiences. You know what? Maybe. Like what you want. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> basically that's kind of where I fall on it. Like, alright, probably doesn't hurt you to believe that. And like, it could potentially be true. So then I went and searched for infrasound papers and... So I read this this paper by a guy called Carlisle. I think he's a neuroscientist from uh, Sydney. Okay, this guy, Simon Carlisle from the University of S- Sydney, he cites another paper, which I didn't actually look up, which suggests that subliminal sound levels, two decibels below measured threshold, also activity, a- activated brain regions known to be involved in autonomic and emotional processing. In particular, the anterior cingulate cingulate cortex and amygdala. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, anterior cingulate cortex. Thank you, and amygdala. The latter is believed to be involved with stress and anxiety-related psychiatric disorders. The amygdala is also a key component regulating arousal and sleep. Um, The latter observation provides some explanation as to how subliminal infrasound stimulation could lead to arousal and potentially mediate sleep disturbances reported by some individuals. Um, So I was using an fMRI study, which I haven't looked into very much, but they used a a 200 second 12 hertz stimulus Mm -hmm. for their fMRI study. And so obviously they find that maybe it can have some effect on your amygdala and they think maybe if it can have some effect on your amygdala, then maybe it can change your sleeping patterns. Equally, that in itself is not enough evidence. Um, this was in a paper about wind turbines and whether the noise from wind turbines could potentially harm people in any way, mm-hmm. um, which I think is an important study to mm-hmm. to be done. That's that's an important field of research um that reference in itself is not enough to say that wind turbines definitely do hurt people or that infrasound definitely does hurt people um nor does nor do the authors claim that that's that's the case so i guess the answer is maybe like at the end of all of this i finally so then the other thing that's cited on wikipedia and i think it's cited quite often is um, an experiment done by Richard Wiseman and some other people. And Richard Wiseman is pretty famous, um, and it's actually on his website that I found the, or that George sent me, the um, link to the ghost in the machine. He's got a link to it on on his website to the PDF. And in 2003, Richard Wiseman did uh an experiment apparently with some other people which has never been published in a peer-reviewed journal in fact the information to it is like basically nowhere to be found so on his website he talks about it um what does he say our study took place as part of a specifically staged concert of contemporary music performed by genia genia at the Purcell Room in London. During the concert, the auditorium was twice flooded with infrasound. 
At various points, the audience were asked to describe any unusual experiences that were had, I suppose that means, whilst listening to the music. The results suggested that the infrasound boosted the number of strange experiences reported among the audience, even among those who were unaware of its presence. Unusual reports included a sense of coldness, anxiety, and shivers down the spine. So that's what he reports on his website, and I've seen that reported in other places, that apparently they had four pieces of music, and they had the concert on two separate nights, and they varied the two pieces of music that had the infrasound in them. But in this final paper that I found that I will have to... Okay, I do not speak German, so I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name very well, but I guess it's Jörg H. Mulhans, who is a researcher from the University of Vienna. So when I was looking for this other paper, that it's for a paper that um, describes the result of this infrasonic experiment by Richard Wiseman and, and this um, this music I couldn't find any results anywhere and the only thing that I could find that came up that looked reasonably uh, scientific was this paper by Jörg Mulhans he seems to be associated with the department of musicology or something um, I didn't translate the German word for it but like he seems to study musical psychology, musical physiology, this kind of thing, according to ResearchGate. Um, and uh, I read this paper, and it actually gives a nice... He's, he obviously has a good understanding of the science involved and the physics involved. It was published in Musique Scientifique. And about the infrasonic concert, he says, the only suggestion of a significant effect of infrasound was made in the 2003 infrasonic concert experiment. No data from the experiment have ever been published in a peer-reviewed journal. Only the statement about 22% more unusual experiences with infrasound present keeps appearing in reports. <laughs> Even though this number is irre irreproducible, from the few data given by Anglis on her website. Anglis was one of the researchers involved in the experiment. The idea of infrasound being perceived differently than sound of higher frequency is worth being examined, yet solid data are missing. Mm. So, like, this Wiseman bloke, I think I've got one of his books, I've never read it because I'm not a reader. Uh, he seems to be an important person in at least popular psychology. However... The data from this particular experiment haven't been published in a peer-reviewed journal. And this guy who has done this in-depth analysis of literally centuries of, of research into um, low-frequency sounds, he has obviously gone in search of these data and not been able to find them and um, not been able to reproduce the, the claims that are made based on the data that, that have been published. After Tandy's publications, many tried to examine infrasound at 17 to 19 hertz empirically, but with hardly any significant findings that could support Tandy's claims. Hmm. There you go. That's what I have to say. Um, basically, sure, ghosts could exist, or infrasound could cause ghostly sightings, or none of the above could be true. 
That's my conclusion from this. Do your own research, kids. And don't believe the researcher, believe the data. Yeah. And if you can't find the data... Yeah. Ask why the researcher hasn't published them in 17 years. I don't know how many people will listen to this who don't already have these tools in their armory, but I would like to think that uh, this has been a critical thinking episode as much as a physics episode. (laughs) As much as a ghost episode. (laughs) As much as a ghost episode. All right. (laughs) I don't have a quiz planned for you, but I can can see if I can get one together. Do you want one? Yeah, well, it's like a staple of yeah, the show. Yeah, I think we have to, unfortunately. We can't, right. Our last right, episode, right. we can't not have a quiz. True. Okay. What if we asked questions about all of the previous episodes? <laughs> <laughs> no! Oh my goodness! No, it's okay. Never mind. Never mind. Oh it's a bad God. idea. <laughs> not that I like that idea, actually. Maybe we can do that as a bonus episode. Firstly, we have to hear your, your buzzers. Ooh. Oh, is that just it? <laughs> Sorry, I, I, <laughs> um, okay, mine is, it's a, it's a, a 19 the... hertz, uh, uh, low frequency sound. You actually can't hear it. I'm just, uh, uh, translating it up into. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're like speeding it up a bit for us. Yeah. Thank you. We Thanks. That. That's really helpful. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. All right. Question one. What was the name of the journal that the um, paper was published in? Alistair, go. It was the Journal of Psych... Can I steal? It's the Journal for the Society of Psychical Studies. Psychical... Of Psychical Research. It's the Journal of the Society of Psychical Research. Yes. Okay, good. Fantastic, you get a point each. Congratulations. Question two. How long was, in baths, of course, how long was the the lab that Big Tony was working in? Alistair, go. Um, it was approximately three baths. No. Sienna, go. Wasn't it approximately six baths? Uh, yes, yes. Yes, Whew. it was. It was six Phew. months. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations, Sienna. Thank you. Thank you. Um, here's a good question. How long... What's the, what's the equation that connects um, wavelength with length of a room for a standing wave in a pipe closed at both ends? I'll give you points for any bit that you get right. Go, Alison. So I can't tell if you can hear it or not, because it's like a low-frequency sound. <laughs> I just do it until you feel it. Feel it in your spine. And it has to come all the way over the Atlantic, so... Exactly. Exactly. Um, it the, the equation is that the wavelength is equal to 2L over M. Yes. N... Perfect. Congratulations. I'll give you And that's lambda. That. Lambda is equal to so lambda is equal to 2l over n, which is that the wavelength is equal to 2 times the length over the number of nodes. Very close. The number of antinodes. Oof. Antinodes. Ugh. Oof. This is why I failed physics. I didn't fail <laughs> physics. <laughs> okay, um Sienna to come back in. 
What is the equation for the speed of a wave? Uh, frequency times lambda. Yeah, exactly. Oh, ah, ah! <laughs> she did it. <laughs> I'll give you five points for that too. Oh, thank you. Congratulations. Congratulations to you both. Thank you. There you go. That's it. I hope that um, we all feel more um, critically thunk. (laughs) 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 I have thunk critically for sure. And at least now, if you do suspect that you may be the victim of a haunting, one, let us know. We're not Ghostbusters, Please. but we'd love to hear about yep. it. Two, yep. mm-hmm. now you know how to try and address whether or not it is truly a haunting. Um, so yeah. check the pipes, check the floorboards. I don't know. Check the extractor, extractor fans. I just think that's a useful skill for anybody yeah. to have, really. Exactly. All right. Um, thank you very much to everybody. If you've got to the end of the series, then thank you so much for supporting us through this series um we have had a lot of good feedback from it and actually we've really enjoyed doing it like it's been a lot of work but i think we've all really enjoyed doing it um we are definitely hoping to come back for a second series so if you want us to you will have to let us know um you can let us know individually as well like if you know us or if you want to let us know officially our socials have been mentioned many a time. And we would love to do a mini episode, just like if you guys have any questions or things you're like, what does this science mean? Just let us ask us. Yeah. We would be happy to try and answer it. We have three people here with three different domains covered, so like we might be able to do a pretty good job of it. And it, might, it would just be fun. Yeah. So feel free to send in questions in the meantime. If you ever have any, we can yeah. try and answer them at any point. Yeah. I do want to say we are very excited about season two because we have some exciting ideas about things we're going to do. So do do come back. And it really helps us if you follow us mm-hmm. on our social media channels. You can definitely reach out to us on those, but follow us on Instagram, yeah. Twitter, Facebook, and uh on your favorite podcast listening apps. We're on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Rate us, tell your friends, share it all around. We want to be friends with you. We want to be friends with your friends. We want to be friends with your friends' friends. So, like... We're going to have so many friends at the end of this. Thank you very much for being here, everyone. Before we go, I'd like to say a massive thank you to Ellison, whose music you can find on Bandcamp. He's done all of our intros, all of our outros, all of our music is him. And you should go and... Find out, find more of his music on on Bandcamp. Um, that's us. I am Beth. I'm Alistair. And I'm Sienna. And we are the PhD three to be. See you next time for season two. Yeah.